Welcome to the Cybersecurity Defenders Podcast, episode number 35. My name is Christopher Luft. I'm one of the co-founders at Lima Charlie, and I will be your host. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we sit down to talk with Amanda Berlin, CEO of Mental Health Hackers. Hey, Amanda, thanks so much for being on the show today. I'm really excited about this conversation. Before we get into it, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Amanda Berlin, and I'm the lead incident detection engineer at Blumira, amongst other things. <laughs> I can go through them all if you want. Uh, I, I have usually four that I bring up. So that's one. CEO of Mental Health Hackers is another. I wrote the Defensive Security Handbook, and I also podcast with Breaking Down Security. So you know what you're doing, and we're going to be just fine, right? <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to turn this into a shameless plug, but you folks built a technology on top of Lima Charlie recently. Can you briefly talk about that? We did. We did. So um, like I said, I work at Bulmira and we were struggling with uh, the fact that there's so many people now that have remote workforce and it's really, really hard to get endpoint logs in the way that we were at the time shipping them to our cloud, right? Because you had to have this like Ubuntu virtual machine or whatever. And you can't really run one of those on every endpoint. So yeah, we built in Lima Charlie as our Bloomera agent, like white labeled thing, even though we talk about it all the time. And so I, I guess it's still white labeled, but we've talked about Lima Charlie. And yeah, it's great just because it takes away the need for that. It kind of combines, you know, we were doing Sysmon NX log and a virtual machine into one thing now. So it's That's pretty awesome. great. Yeah. Yeah. It's a super exciting partnership. And I'm really honored that we get to talk about some of the bigger things on the show today. So, yeah. Um, before we get into it, I just wanted to touch on your background a little. It looks like you got into tech right after high school back in 2005. What made you want to work with computers? So I didn't initially want to work with computers. I was going to go into the Marines and be a professional trumpet player. And then... <laughs> I couldn't do that. So uh, here we are. I just figured I'm really fast typer in high school. So I might as well go into computers. So I took a two year <laughs> degree, uh, graduated college in 2005 and found a help desk job. So kind of worked, gosh, back in the help desk days where you couldn't remote control anybody's computers. So it was very like walking old ladies through setting modem strings and setting up, you know, wireless access points over the phone. Yeah. So that's that's how I got started in tech. <laughs> yeah, it definitely looks like you did your time in the trenches. I can see you were a computer support technician, a network technician, and even did some time at the help desk like you just mentioned. How did you make the transition from that into security? Was it an intentional move on your part or one of those opportunities that presents itself and you jumped on it? Yeah, kind of just an opportunity because I, I was heading down the like network architecture path. Um, I was like taking my CCNA and studying up on like a whole bunch of complex network stuff, VoIP things. And then um, the hospital that I was working at, we had a pen test. And it was before TrustedSec was uh, even a thing. And Dave Kennedy is local to me and came out and did a pen test at our hospital for the company that he was working for and let me watch. And I had absolutely no idea there was an entire industry around security. Like I was already kind of doing security in like the sysadmin, the admin role. 
but had no clue that you could work in security. So that he gave me a ticket to my first conference and it was just all downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard really great things about him. It's nice to hear another positive story. Yep. The one role you held that really stood out for me, which I'm hoping you can explain a little, is the eight months you spent as a super secret squirrel engineer. Can you tell us anything about that? Or is the number one rule of being a super secret squirrel engineer that you don't talk about being a super secret squirrel engineer? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was one of those places that didn't care what my title was. And I was going to get paid the same. So they let me pick it. And that's what I picked. <laughs> I was sadly working on checkpoint firewall security which was a nightmare. And then shortly after that, moved into doing Splunk stuff. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, the reason I wanted to talk to you on the show, besides the fact that you're awesome, is because May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and you are the CEO of a nonprofit called Mental Health Hackers, which you mentioned in the intro. Can you tell us about this organization and what its stated goals are? Sure. Like Our motto is just hackers helping hackers. Right, because I'm not a mental health professional. I re really, we just, I mean, I've never, I mean, other than having like a passion for psychology and like half of my bookshelf back here, psychology books, I've never taken any formal training other than there's this course called uh, Mental Health First Aid, which highly recommend to everybody. But it started, I think at this point, it's been six years ago when I was just, I was asked to do my first keynote. And I was recently talking about like my own struggles in mental health. And I thought with the, like the responses I got, I thought, hmm, maybe I could talk about mental health in cybersecurity. So my first keynote ever was Hackers, Hugs and Drugs, uh, Mental Health and InfoSec. And it was very, very well received by a lot of people that thought that they were struggling alone. So after about a year of just doing that talk over and over and over again, I thought I could probably reach more people with good information if I could do like a group setting or like a workshop or whatever. And ran a village at DerbyCon on eight, I think. And we had talks from peers. We had like therapy dogs we had massage therapists we had coloring tables knitting like all of this kind of stuff and then it was just me and some volunteers and afterwards i had people come up to me and ask how do i get this at my conference or how do i give you money and at the time i i had no organization whatsoever and i'm like i don't know so shortly after that we became a nonprofit, and now we do that everywhere we just we have villages we do online get-togethers, whole, whole bunch of whole bunch of different things that we try to do to just help the community learn about mental health and help employers learn about it and all, all kinds of stuff. I recently read some stats published in a report that was produced by our friends at Tynes, the security automation company, which stated that out of a thousand cybersecurity professionals, just over half were taking or had previously been prescribed medication to help with their mental health. That in itself seems alarming, but when you compare it to the general population where just under 16% report the same, you realize there's a very industry-specific problem here. Do you have any ideas about why mental health challenges are so prevalent in the population of people that work in cybersecurity? Yeah, actually, for that first keynote, I 
I researched and well, I didn't research. I read a bunch of other people's research uh, that are actually doctors on this topic. And there are studies from Stanford and some other really, really good colleges that talk about mental health issues in STEM fields and mental health issues in like postgraduate studies. And it just it kind of revolves around a lot of there's a lot of really intelligent people that I think when you are really smart and you kind of gravitate towards that stuff, your brain starts to implode (laughs) and you become like more prone to having these mental health problems. And some of those papers kind of focused on that. And also like it, it uh, one of the other things I talked about was how we're more likely to ignore it and self-medicate and ignoring it is because like if you look at it from a biological perspective those kind of people that are generally of male orientation tend to not report it as often and if you look at our industry what is the largest percentage so those kind of things fall into it as well as like the stress of what we we always have to deal with yeah, for me, the thing that jumped out was that tech's stressful in general, but then we're also in this industry where we're all waiting for the next bad thing to happen. Like, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're constantly needed. You constantly feel like you have to be on. On high alert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a certain level of stress that's inherent with what we do, and I'm not sure whether we're entirely going to get away from it. Are there signs that people can monitor themselves for? Is there a difference between needing a vacation versus needing to see a mental health professional? Yeah, I think so. So, again, I'm not a professional when it comes to mental health stuff, but like if you are, if you could take a day off and come back and you feel refreshed and you're fine, that's one thing, right? That just means you had a bad day. You're in the right mindset. You, you may be medicated already. You're, you already have like a bunch of tools that you're working with to, to kind of help the stresses and, and other issues you might be going through. But sometimes like a day doesn't help. A week doesn't help. Like even when you're gone for that week, you still are having issues. So there's I mean, you don't necessarily even have to be having a problem to seek help. Right. Like I've been going to therapy for years and I'm currently fine. Right. I don't really have any major stressors. I mean, I don't want to say I don't have any because I definitely do. I don't have any I was going to you say, know. you just told me about this marathon two weeks of yeah, multiple yeah. conferences. And, right, yeah. right. Uh, uh, I don't have any anything that's debilitating right now, right? So you don't have to wait until you get to that point. You can definitely do it whenever. Like, uh, I started doing couples therapy with my boyfriend after nine months of dating, I think, because we didn't have anything wrong. But why not have the tools that you might need in the future now when you can focus on that kind of stuff in practice um, as opposed to waiting when you're in crisis? Yeah. And I would even advocate for counseling as a way to just grow as a human being. Right. Uh, Yeah. I, I ended up marrying a counselor and I've been going down that road for a few years now since my own challenges. And again, I'm in a good space now, but I still find it very valuable and you get to know yourself in a way that I think unless you're intentionally focusing on it, you're not going to get to. Yeah, for sure. And and one thing that I learned, and a lot of people say it too, is that finding a good counselor is kind of like dating mm-hmm. uh, or like job searching where you you don't always 
land it the first couple times, right? Like it takes it takes you like some people are really lucky and they find somebody right away that they really click with. But everybody has different goals and personality types. And, you know, some people can't do it online. They need to be in person to talk to somebody. So, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of trial and error, I think, when it comes to finding someone good. And it does take a little bit of time. It's not just one or two sessions and you're going to see a result. you got to kind of oh, yeah. commit to it at a certain level to, to see the results. Yeah, for sure. Should you do anything if you're worried about one of your colleagues? Like if you notice a big change in their behavior or can tell they're really struggling, uh, should you reach out or can that kind of attention exasperate things? That depends. Like I've, I've been asked that question a lot and I've heard so many stories right? Stories from people that work in toxic environments that they may feel comfortable talking to their boss about it, but then they can't talk to other coworkers or you can't go to HR because they don't have a great viewpoint on it. Depends on your relationship with that person or your perceived relationship. Like you don't want to, you want to be supportive, but you don't want to cause any more stress, right? So I don't know that it's ever like I've found it helpful and and heard it's worked fairly well if people uh, will openly talk about their own stuff, if that's the kind of culture you can. Like having, I'm sure all of us have Slack or Discord or or whatever, bring up in there like, hey, lately I've been having, struggling with some stuff and was able to make it through. If anybody out there is having problems, just l- letting you know that I'm here and I'll I'm willing for you to talk to me or what so, something like that just letting them know that you're available right in kind of an indirect way I really right. like that that's right. a great create the environment for somebody to feel safe and then if they need it they'll they'll come out and talk about it right right and then if you have a really close relationship with them that could be different right you could just like stumble upon that topic and be like so how are you lately mm-hmm. yeah is there maintenance stuff that is recommended to keep mentally healthy? I imagine getting enough sleep and exercise are a given, which, right. you know, <laughs> honestly, I'm not very good at myself. Um, what are other kinds of stuff people can do to help maintain that stability? It's just, so I was recently on a on another podcast, um, like last week or something that I've never heard of this before. And I absolutely love the idea is this like Swiss cheese example where each piece of Swiss cheese, like they all have holes in different places. Each piece of Swiss cheese is another thing that you're doing for your mental health, right? Like one might be exercise, one might be a healthy diet, one might be meditation. I draw like so I use that for some of my mental health stuff. And once you start layering those one after the other, you end up with like a solid wall. Right. And I just love that um, example just because it's true, right? Like you can, you know, doing yoga is not going to fix everyone's mental health. Like if that's <laughs> all you do, definitely. I don't know that I've ever seen that be a cure for anything. But if you just do little changes and stack things on top of each other, um, you start to see, you know, more healthy behavior. You boost your serotonin levels naturally. You know, medication could be one of those slices. Uh, that's one of the one. That's one of the things that I talked about in that first keynote was just like my medication journey and how, again, not a, just like therapists, medication isn't a first Cure time you're going to get it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's my recommendation. Is just 
lots of things that work for you. Non-work related things are probably yes. a good place to start. Yeah. Hobbies. Yeah. Like that. Find yeah. a hobby that doesn't involve screens. Yeah. <laughs> That's a hard yeah. one because a lot that of people, yeah, because a lot of people, yeah. you know, wake up, look at your phone, go to work, look at multiple screens for multiple hours. Your hobby, sure, it could be like video games or something, but non-screen time is invaluable. Yeah. Gardening's my jam. That's nice. where I spend all my extra time. Yeah. I really enjoy it. I'm hoping my next job actually involves a farmer's market. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. It's a dream. We'll see. <laughs> um, if someone out there is feeling overwhelmed and stressed out, but worried about their job and don't feel like their employer is going to be supportive, do you have any advice or strategies about things they can do? Yeah. So reaching out to peers helps. I had this discussion the other day, too. Like, it's hard to create change from the bottom, right? If you are in, in senior management, create the change from there, right? People lead by example. So if you're able to create that kind of environment from above, like, start down that road. There's a really good website called workplacementalhealth.org, and that's from the American Psychiatric Association, and they give like all of this kind of tools and resources to implement good mental health practices in an organization. They have things like these are the specific codes you need to ask to make sure your insurance covers or these are things you should be doing on a weekly basis with your employees, depending on like size of organization. Uh, so they do have a lot of really good resources. And if you end up just having a really super toxic environment that you can't stay in, find another job. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you just can't win. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think maybe worth mentioning too, like it, working in tech, a lot of people have very good medical plans. So it's, it's good to go see what is covered there. Yeah. Uh, I get, I think almost 10 different counseling sessions a year paid for through yeah. our plan. And that makes it very affordable. Yep. What kind of things can employers do to help their employees feel safe and provide them with the support they need? I know we've touched on a couple things here, but uh, it, if somebody's running an organization and they want to make this a, a frontline issue, how do they go about it? Yeah, um, open communication is definitely one. We started in the beginning at Blumera with this, um, with a, I, I think we have a great culture and I absolutely love it. So one of the things we do is called free for all, where at any point, if you're feeling overwhelmed or stressed or pissed off or you need to just take a break and walk away, four hours, no questions asked, cancel any meeting, walk away from anything and just go for a walk, go garden, go do whatever, because it's like the stigma around it, I think, causes more problems than anything. So offering things like that. Okay, yeah. And it, our culture in this industry is definitely one filled with workaholism. So yes. <laughs> it's hard to yes. get away from that. Yes. Uh, is there anything that we didn't cover here today that you think should be part of this conversation? Well, I think if people want to get involved, they can contact us. We have a, a Slack where we organize um, our, our volunteers. So we have uh, the village that I talked about. We can actually run, I think it's six of those simultaneously. It might be five. I've kind of lost track. But there are kits that I'll ship to people and they can run the village. I have instructions and all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, so they can reach out to info at mentalhealthhackers.org. Uh, we also have people that write 
blog posts or help with speaking engagements, whatever the case might be. We have a lot of a lot of different opportunities if people want to get involved. Very cool. And I'll make sure I link all of this stuff in the show notes as I always do. So, All right. This is the last question I have and the one I ask of everybody that comes on the show. It can be as wide or as narrow as you want. Do you have any predictions for the future? AI is going to take over everything. <laughs> not really. Not really. Uh, I did watch the Boston Dynamics, like, you know, learning robots thing the other day that made me think literally everything that I do every day seems like just like I'm a baby learning colors. So I I definitely don't think AI is going to, you know, take over everything because it can't even fix my SQL query correctly. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's going to continue getting better yeah that reminds me of a tweet i saw the other day that said uh, humans doing the hard jobs on minimum wage while the robots write poetry and paint is not the future i wanted <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> awesome uh well thanks so much for coming on the show amanda it's always a pleasure to talk with you and uh, i think this is valuable stuff so you too thank you so much cheers and that concludes episode 35 of the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast. If you are struggling, please know that there are a lot of people in your community that care, as well as resources that you can access. I will dump a bunch of links in the show notes. And if you just want someone to chat with, you can hit me up directly over email via defenders at leemacharley.io. You can get access to a great network of your peers and join the conversation on the Lima Charlie community Slack channel at slack.leemacharley.io. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with someone or leaving a rating or review. And don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you on the next episode.